Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. So today I'm doing a snapshot of performance of our assets and what we're seeing in the market. I want to give a quick update. We're approaching the end of the year, and I know a lot of things in the market have been topsy-turvy, and we're hearing a lot of information. And our our portfolio and our assets actually represent very well, I think, the themes that are going on the market, what people are hearing, and why. And I thought, this is a great case study. I need to share this with my listeners because it um, approaches some of the fear, but also lack of understanding on what that means. So first of all, um, uh, let's dive into it here. Uh, I'm talking about, in general, assets that are located across 10 different states. Um, uh, We're looking at uh, assets, including different businesses. um, uh, And the real estate assets, depending on where they're at, is going to have a lot of effect on the overall um, the the overall inputs in that individual market are very different. We're not seeing a broad based uh, trend here, and I think our portfolio actually really represents this well. Considering outside the East Coast, we don't have a lot of representation. But what I mean is the types of markets. So even if you go to like the Southeast. We're in markets that represent very similar trends where they're either fast, second-tier growing markets that are growing due to migration patterns, right? Or we have them in more stable, not fast-growing markets through the Midwest. Uh, So I think it's telling us a lot about what's happening in the economy right now, and it's very interesting. So the first thing that I want to say is we are seeing a broad-based drop in demand. Now, I talked about this a lot last year. Um, at the end of last year and the first part of this year, we talked about the inf- how inflation will create more of a stagnation, right? And we talked about rising in interest rates, what they're going to have to do. Um, and we talked about overall aggregate demand seeming in the economy would start to lower. Now, this when I say that, I'm talking principally on real estate, real estate assets. Um, and that's true. Uh, but it's not true in the way you might think. Excuse me. Sorry about that. So um, when we're looking at our assets, we are seeing drops in occupancy and new current demand being very, very weak. Now, this is way more than seasonality. We're also seeing in our other businesses, we're seeing things just seem to slow down. Um, Now, we have some online businesses as well as service-based businesses. A lot, uh, some of those aren't seeing any effect at all. But what they're all seeing is Revenue across the board of everything is up. We're seeing no employment situations. We're giving employment or uh, salary increases, raises. Um, all of that is happening. So when we look at our assets, I'm sorry, I'm breaking them open here real quick. 
we're seeing occupancies lower and drop, but our revenues are the highest they've ever been and they've continued to raise. So what I think is we're seeing this tail end of revenue that will approach next year. So occupancies, we're seeing the softening in the market, but it's not associated everyone with the overall prices, revenues, or income. What I believe is happening and what we're seeing and what I'm hearing from our businesses, um, the CEOs that run those, uh, what I'm hearing from our operators, what I'm hearing from other people in the industry, right, is that interest rates are having the effect, an effect, but it hasn't hit Main Street yet. Now, this is opposite of monetary policy that affects assets always has a tail end. And this is what a lot of people don't understand, meaning that when you flood the economy with money, you get asset appreciation, right? Well, that has an effect where assets rise, but Main Street is not seeing rise in their incomes. They're not seeing that happen because why? Values have to rise. We have to be able to charge more. You have to be able to associate asset increase with revenue increase that then leads to payments or salaries and paying people. Um, and so what happened is we started to see that in the last three years catch up. So the asset inflation that had happened after 2008, which a lot of people think it just started right after 2008. It wasn't. It really started like 2015, right? After that, we started to see incomes and the job market recover. We're now at the end of that cycle where now we're seeing incomes go up every single year. Obviously, we had COVID. Um, but overall, employment salaries are rising, but now we're starting to get into a place where we're seeing real assets uh, soften and the prices that they can achieve soften because of the tightening. So now we're seeing assets and everything start to lower, soften across the board stock markets. That is happening prior to Main Street. So what we're seeing in our assets, I believe, is reflective of the broader economy that we will continue to see next year. We're going to see, we're seeing that transpire, meaning that our occupancy and our aggregate demand for products is dropping. But due to the strong markets over the last three years, we've been increasing rates, we've been increasing um uh, the overall cost of services. So revenue has been going up. I think that the softening next year, we will start to see a, um, a definitely a plateau in revenues, um, maybe even a contraction. And we'll start to look and see how powerful that is. I, I think that it's one of those things that with employment so high, the moment we start to get unemployment, we're obviously going to start easing. But at the end of the day, we they have the problem that, you know, stock markets crashed because employment went up, salaries went up. And that's scary because it's like we can't stop this engine. Uh, even at these high rates, we're not seeing it. And I think the problem is we're just seeing a lagged effect, meaning we're now seeing the front end effect of interest rates through next year, that'll change. So when I look at our assets in our portfolio, we are seeing vacancies rise, occupancies rise, um, but up into literally, you know, the end of summer into September, revenues were still rising. We were still getting higher in-place rents. We were still getting more customers. We were still having more demands for services. 
Now, in general, this has a lot to do to the inputs. So if you're looking at asset classes and which will be successful and which will hurt during times like this. So if you're trying to understand which assets are going to be successful, which ones are going to be hurt the most, you've got to look at the core inputs that are driving lower demand in the economy. This is why last fall and the first part of this year, I was talking so much about things like storage because the inputs to self-storage, right, are for a large part the housing market. Interest rates were going to stop the housing market. So everyone from flippers to uh, wholesalers, right, that kind of stuff, they were going to get hurt. And we were going to see less demand in occupancy due to the fact that there were less people moving. Now, alongside that, other businesses, I talked a lot about this at the beginning of last year, was the inputs of interest rates on businesses that are very dependent on short-term capital, right? So we had an in, uh, inversion of the yield curve, which all the all it means when you're talking about the inversion of the yield curve is that short-term interest rates rise above long-term interest rates. Now, why is that important? Why, why does everyone talk about the inverted yield curve and why does that matter? Because the inverted yield curve is when you are, the, the economy runs on short-term interest rates, okay? So the lending from banks, overnight lending, right? All that, I mean, that's how you hit the economy. It's with the short-term interest rates. So when the short-term cost of money is higher than the long-term cost of money, that doesn't make sense. Because in the long term, if I'm holding, if I'm giving someone my money and getting a return on it for 10 years versus two years, well, the 10-year needs to pay me more because they have my money for longer, which means I have more risk, right? The two-year means, okay, I can take less because I, you don't have my money as long and there's not less, so I can turn it over, right, uh, during the 10 years. So when those two things um, go upside down, it screws the flow of money in the economy completely. It like stops the flow of money. That's why people look at it and that's why it's the best predictor of recessions. It, it's because of what it does to the flow of money through the economy, right? And so what we've been seeing is the flow of money is getting all screwed up. Now, that's why it has effect on things like stock markets, right? That's why it has effect on things like debt, because these are short-term things that are happening. People are moving money around. They're changing assets. So it, we're not, we haven't seen the effect yet, though, of this money stopping in the economy, of it getting all screwed up and where it's going. We're starting to see that effect as companies start to lay off people, right? As those things start to take place, you're going to start to see the real estate market slow down, unemployment from there. Um, and that's going to start seeping into other parts of the economy. We just haven't felt it all yet. So when you're looking at investments, whether it's businesses, assets, um, or outside investments, especially when you're in the alternative investment world, you need to look at the inputs of interest rates, the inverted yield curve, and how that's going to affect that asset class over time. So things I'm very interested in are assets that are not affected by uh, short-term interest rate rises. And that's where you start to see money starts to shift and flow. They're going into areas 
that are safe. Now, that's when you really need to analyze the inputs. And a lot of people get this confused, meaning that they say, perfect example would be self-storage. A lot of people say, but interest rates have no effect on self-storage, right? Because I have my interest rate locked in. So if I'm not buying or selling, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, yeah, but how does it affect your customer? Okay. 45% of all the customers are coming because they're moving. Well, if people are moving, that's 45% of your new customer base for your customer acquisition. So it's not how much the asset, it's not like I'm talking about stocks and bonds and just the shift of money. I'm talking about the individual asset, the customer that it serves. How was the customer affected? And if you guys look at this, that's where you're going to start to see things. This was the entire prep, prep, um, premise of our investment to when we started moving tens of millions outside of the markets that we had been in um, a year and a half ago, right? So when we started, when I started our original company, I had a simple philosophy, everyone. And that was that after 2008, the markets had over-exaggerated the value of cash-flowing, cash-based businesses. And they had astronomically undervalued and put real assets at a massive discount. So we were in storage and we thought this is the time to sell cash-based businesses and move them into hard assets because we could get them at so cheap that 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 swap didn't make sense. Meaning that you're not supposed to be able to, sh to sell a cash-flowing based business and move it into hard assets and get the same returns because one is so much more risky. But you could get such high returns off the cash-based one that was all predicated on cash flow, no hard assets, that you could take that and move it into and buy up hard assets, and you're buying them at a cost where the, the, the price point to get in is so low, the yield was much higher. So that was the entire premise, right? That's why we didn't move into it. A year and a half ago, our next premise was um, interest rates will have an adverse effect on second tier fast growing markets much, much higher than it would on stable markets. So we went to the Midwest, right? And it wasn't so much cash flow because that's at the time, even when you looked at assets and prices, that wasn't it. There wasn't this massive delta. It was the fact that there was underperforming assets that we could buy literally at replacement cost in areas that were not overbuilt. So I was looking at areas that were protected from the customers being hit by higher interest rates. Because if it was predicated on high growth rates, like areas like Boise, Idaho, Austin, Texas, Nashville, right? You can go on and on and on. We all know the markets that boomed. They were going to be adversely affected by higher interest rates. And so we made no acquisitions, right? And we started moving into those other markets. We are now moving back. So now we're moving back to second tier markets, but we're doing it in the form of building. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense, AJ. Why are you building if you can acquire? Because we haven't seen a decrease in the premium that sellers want yet, but what we have seen a decrease in is the development in those markets because it switches so fast. Remember, short-term debt. So now all of a sudden the developers are like, oh, I can't get money. Or more importantly, developers can't sell that once they completed at a really low cap rate because nobody can get the money to do it. That means the aggregate demand or the aggregate supply is going to be constrained over the next few years. So what do we do? Okay, we're going to build in those markets because we now know we have a constraint of supply over the next few years. And so when you look at these 
actions, everybody, we're taking something that we know, something that we can play on. We're looking at our numbers. We're looking at the market, but I'm focusing what? On the customer that we're serving. It's not about interest rates. It's not about where the markets go. It's about trying to understand what our customers are going to do and how much risk we're going to take on. So the second tier markets, right, when we looked at it, we didn't say, oh, interest rates are going to hit it. They're going to implode everything else. We said the markets are now at a point where supply is being put on it as if these markets are going to grow at 2 3% forever, which is astronomical population growth, right? And we said, we don't know that that will happen, meaning that the core demand was already supplied. New supply was coming on. But that new supply, we're like, what would happen if that overall moving base of those customers shut off? And the answer was, you have too much because they're building for the future. That's why we shut it down. Interest rates come in and what do they do? They affect it, so on and so forth. So when we look at our numbers, we're seeing that, right? The markets that are hit hardest are our markets that we have in second tier markets. We have way less demand in our, our assets across the board in those fast growing second tier markets for new customers than we do in other markets that weren't subject to those kind of population growth rates. So guys, when you're looking at your portfolios, when you're looking at the assets that you're trying to invest in, make sure you focus on the customer. How is the customer? How is the businesses in that market? How is this market affected by a high rate, a high interest rate and a high inflationary environment, right? Are they very poorly affected? And are we going to see lagging effects where you're going to be buying in a more of a downturn? Or are these more stable markets that actually you now have an opportunity to get in at a better price point because of it. So the same thing that hurts on one side also opens up for opportunity on the next side. How do you know if there's opportunity or if it hurts? The customer. You look at the part that generates the revenue, right? That is the most important part. The price is overlaid on top of that, right? And that, as it decreases or increases, increases your ability, right, to get yield, because of the revenue that's under it is getting overdone by a price or underdone. So look at those issues, find opportunities, and now is a great time to go out and to buy. You also have good opportunities and we're finding them associated with new types of financing. I've talked a lot about seller financing, um, sub to sub to subject uh, uh, to approval, where you're acquiring loans, things like that. We're seeing opportunities in them. Now, in the self-storage space, if it's subject to, normally you're actually getting hit really hard uh, because what we're seeing so far is that if you're locked in at a 3% interest rate, you can charge it and you can, someone can assume that loan, you're charging as if that interest rate still exists. But other than that, we're seeing lots of opportunity in these markets because everyone's getting broad-based. So Overall, we're seeing the softening on the front end. It hasn't hit the back end. We believe that's coming. We believe Main Street is going to be hit due to this. We believe very strongly that um, that you know second tier fast growing markets are adversely hit and affected. Um, but we also believe that there's a lot of open opportunity in those markets right now. Uh, but you have to really focus on that 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 climate, that area. We believe that there's going to be companies that are going to be in very large trouble, debt-ridden, particularly short-term debt-ridden companies. Um, and we believe that you need to look very carefully at your overall investments and where you're putting them to understand. Because next year, right, We so far, 
We don't believe that interest rates are coming down. We believe we'll remain in a high interest rate environment. We don't believe inflation's going down. That is stagflation. So start to do research and look at assets during stagflation, who's going to get hit the worst, who's going to get hit the most. Also, try to look at um, assets that are overreacting. And this is a big thing that we look at, is that the market is overreacting on its pricing of an asset, and you have a dip in the market value that is different from its intrinsic value. One of the main things that we focus on. And once the market pricing dips below the overall intrinsic value, that's where we want to come in and swoop it up. Even if the market price keeps dropping, I'm okay with that because the intrinsic value is above or what I, the intrinsic value, meaning the revenue, the net profit, my real return. So I can wait. And then once the market recorrects, it'll go up. Um, so, all right, everybody, I hope that's a, a helpful, a good snapshot into what we're seeing in our portfolio right now, what we believe that means going into the next year. Uh, how we're looking at our assets, where we're allocating things, where we're moving money, um, and what we're trying to accomplish uh, with that. That hopefully, guys, will give you some confidence and more understanding at least where to look and how to direct your research and study while looking at assets to find not only the opportunity, but also to avoid the ones that have downside that is out of your control. Thanks, everybody.